Today's scripture reading will be coming from Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Would you bow with me? Holy Father, righteous God, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator, sustainer, Father, we come before you with humble hearts, acknowledging you are the one and only, the true God. Father, we love you. We're humbled when we think about just your awesomeness and what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we love you, and and we are so grateful for your obedience to the Father and your love for us. This week especially, we'll be thinking about your final days here upon earth, the walk into Jerusalem, the humility, the pain, and the love that you showed Jesus, we can't wait. Sunday's coming. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for the comfort that you provide us. Life is rough. Life has lots of ups and downs. But you dwell with us, giving us peace, giving us assurance that a better day awaits us in heaven with you. Father, thank you for the Son and the Spirit. And just the peace that that gives us, Father. Thank you that we have this avenue of prayer. That we can come before you with the thoughts that are on our hearts, our cares, our concerns, our joys. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you'll listen. We know right now in your throne room, angels are carrying these prayers before you. Father, we pray for our world. Pray for the situation in Ukraine. All of those that are suffering, we pray for our missions work all around the world, especially in places like Nicaragua and San Blas, Father. Father, we pray that that, that the world will see your church in the lives of the people that are in those situations, and right here in Cookville, in Putnam County, that the, the world will see your church, will see your love through us. 
in the actions that we do. Father, we pray for this congregation. We pray for your church universal, Father, that we will be about the mission that Jesus left for us, Father, that we will show the world that we love you and that we love others and that we are all about being disciples of Jesus and helping others to see that by patterning our life after the example that Jesus set for us, that we can have relationship with you, that we can have true joy and peace, despite whatever circumstances we may face in life, that our joy is in you. Father, we pray for our families. I'm so grateful for all of these young children, uh, all of our teenagers, our young adults, and, and every family, Father. Father, we know that uh, in the family, we have just a, a small example of of what uh, our relationships are going to be like with you in heaven, Father. The, the loves and the joys that, that we can share with each other as we bear each other's burdens, Father. Be with our homes. Strengthen our homes. Help us to have Christian homes led by Christian family, Christian parents. Father, help us to, uh, to just, in all things we do, be salt and light. Father, too often we fall short and, and we, we fail to, to live holy and righteous. And it's only by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, that we have any hope of standing before you in heaven someday, Father. Thank you for that hope. Please forgive us where we fall short. Be with David in the coming hours. He brings us the lesson. Help us to uh, apply it to our lives, to, to take something away from this that will help us walk better and walk differently this week, Father. In all things we do, ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. If you will, let's stand as we sing, please. Sing all four verses. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relief how precious did that grace appear the hour I first Believe my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior's ransom me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love. 
amazing grace through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior's ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Thank you. Be seated, please. For those using a songbook, you may want to mark our invitation song, as we call it. The Lord's invitation is always open, but we traditionally here have, following the sermon, a, a time that if you'd like to come forward and confess your sins or put on your Lord in baptism, that we we call that uh, the invitation song. Number 390, Let Jesus Come Into Your Heart, is that song we've selected for today. And now before the sermon, we'll sing number uh, 790, Wonderful Love of Jesus. And we are blessed here at Jefferson Avenue to have many gifted speakers. Uh, as, you, as Don Byer said, and you saw in your bulletin, one of our elders, David Fox, will be delivering the message today. And so we're in for a treat. David's better known as Miss Laura Fox's husband. The, our Mother's Day Out director to our guest, and I think you probably already know David as well. Wonderful love of Jesus. We'll sing all three verses. In vain, in high and holy lays, my soul her grateful voice would raise. For who can sing the worthy praise of the wonderful love of Jesus? Wonderful love, wonderful love, 
Wonderful love of Jesus. Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus. A joy by day, a peace by night, in storms a calm, in darkness light, in pain a balm in weakness, might is the wonderful love of Jesus. Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus. Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus. My hope for pardon when I call, my trust for lifting when I fall. In life, in death, my all, in all is the wonderful love of Jesus. Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus. Wonderful love, wonderful love, wonderful love of Jesus. David. Well, good morning. I want to begin by welcoming everyone to Jefferson Avenue this morning. Uh, as you probably noticed, uh, Andy is not here today. Andy Brewster is our minister. He's over in South Carolina, I think, performing a wedding. So you don't get the A team today. You get uh, a minor leaguer, but uh, I'm hopefully that uh, the Lord will help us and we can do the best we can. Uh, we have set aside this day to recognize our parents and their families, and especially our Mother's Day out, uh, parents and families, and we want you to know that you are a guest. Uh, we have a mission here at Jefferson Avenue, and that mission is to love God, love our neighbors, be a disciple, and make a disciple. And you honor us as our guests today because we want to worship God always. That is first and pri- first priority in everything we do. But Hebrews 10 also tells us we're to encourage one another. And I hope you'll be encouraged by being here and you've encouraged us as well. I met a a family before church started from the Mayfield, Kentucky area. Uh, We had a donation a few a few months ago that we sent money up there. And also, uh, I think the father, uh, grandfather, is from Waverly, Tennessee, which I think we had a, a, a special contribution for those families. But anyway, they're back there, and he was telling me all the great things that are going on over there. They're sitting right back there behind Mary Goolsby. And so if you uh, want to stop by and see them after the services, I love, I'm sure he would love to tell you about some of the things that, that, have, that have been going on there. Hey, if you're looking for a church home, as we have a lot of visitors, if you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll consider Jefferson Avenue. Uh, We don't claim that we've got it all together by no means, and those of us that are here on a regular basis know that. And as Andy says, if you're looking for the perfect church, well, then you may want to keep looking. But if you're looking for a church that believes in the gospel, that believes that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he came to this earth and lived a perfect life, that he gave himself on the cross for my sins and for your sins, and that he was buried in a tomb and he stayed there for three days, and then he arose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And we believe by faith that if we trust in Jesus Christ, if we repent of our sins and are baptized into that death, burial, and resurrection, that he will come back someday and take us to live with him forever in heaven. As John said this week, we've been talking about holiness. And there are a lot of things that we could say are holy. There are a lot of things that are uh, described as holy. And of course, the Bible teaches us that only God is holy, and anything that we would call holy is only holy because it's connection with God. We said in our class this morning that even the name of God is holy. And uh, in the Jewish culture, they won't write the name of God or speak the name of God lest they say something that they shouldn't say. We know that his word is called the Holy Bible. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 tells us that Christians are holy. Did you know you're holy? But we're only holy because God lives in us. There are places that are holy. We were watching the Ten Commandments last night on TV and uh, Charlton Heston, who played the part of Moses, went up to the burning bush and God said, take the, your shoes off your feet because the ground you're standing on is holy. But it was only holy because God is there. In the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, the holiest of holies. And that was kind of where God was supposed to live because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. We call this, this morning, a sanctuary. But trust me, there's nothing holy about this building or this auditorium except for the fact that God told us where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So I guess it's holy because God is here this morning. But if we were making a list of holy places, I think there's one more place that God would want us to add to our list, and that is our homes. Our homes are a holy place. As I was writing this, I got to thinking, our, my, our house, I don't consider it to be too holy. If you saw my garage, you would say, that's not very holy. Or we've got a door as you go into the, the, the mudroom that's, scrap, that's scraping the floor because whoever works on those things hadn't done it right. And Laura needs to get out there and mow my grass, I'm going to tell you. Our home, I, I don't think of our home as holy, but God says that it is. Listen with me as God said, well, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The word holy, as we said in our class this morning, means to be set apart. And from the very beginning, when God was making things, he would say, uh, this is good. And then he would make something else, and he would say, this is good. And sometimes he said, this is very good. But then after it was all created, he saw Adam by himself, and he said, that's not good. And so he made an Eve. And when God brought Eve to Adam, he told him to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. I like that old King James rhyming, you know, leave and cleave. Jesus referred to the first marriage in Matthew chapter 19 where he said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. A marriage is not 
just between a man and a woman. A marriage is a three-part union, a man and a woman and God himself. We all want to have a long and happy marriage. But as I talk this morning, I'm going to pause every once in a while and kind of give you a commercial for Jefferson Avenue. Laura and I have been married for 44 years. Is that right, Laura? 44. She says I'm right. 44. 44 years. But we are not even in the top 50 in this congregation. Now, I know some of your uh, spouses have gone on to their reward, but if you've been married more than 44 years or were married more than 44 years, but you raise your hand, look back through there, guys. Look at that. This congregation, these folks know how to be married and stay married. And I'm glad that I can sit with them and be in classes with them where they can help me learn how to be a better husband. A home is a holy place. But not only that, the Bible tells us that our children are a gift from God. In Psalms chapter 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord, and they are a reward for Him. Laura and I sit over here in this section right here, and there's a lot of young children. Now, there's a reason they sit over here, because the nursery is right there, all right? And I watch these mothers wrestling with these children, and they come out, and their hairs are all messed up, and, and uh, they're thinking, I don't think this is a gift from God, <laughs> but the Bible says that they are. Or you parents who last night were at a soccer practice or at a soccer game and it was 32 degrees and the wind was blowing about 15 miles an hour, I'm sure it never crossed your brain that my children are a gift from God. But the Bible tells us that they are. And not only that, but I know we want to nurture our children as parents. Uh, and Jesus tells us, are you ready for this? That our children have angels in heaven that always see the Father's face. Now that verse is Matthew 18.10. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm going to let Evan cover that in a couple of weeks when he talks. But uh, they have an angel in heaven. Matthew, I know y'all looking that up right now. Matthew 18.10. That's what the Bible says. And uh, I know I'm going to tell you a story to prove that I am not an expert about being a parent. Back several years ago, we took the, several of the youth teenagers out to Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, to a program they were having out there in the summer, and I was teaching a couple of the sessions. And so after uh, one of the sessions, we said, let's go eat supper. And so we all got in the vans, and we went to Western Sizzler. We had two van loads, okay? So uh, we go over there, and we're eating supper, and uh, before we left... My daughter, Whitney, who is right there now, uh, she always liked to hang with the older kids. And so there were some of the older girls on the other van. And so she said, can I ride with them? Well, sure, we're just going to Western Sizzler. So anyway, she gets in a van with them, and we go to Western Sizzler. Well, as always, we're running a little late. And so we all run, get in the van after it's over. And I count mine. Okay, I got 14. Let's go. As it turns out, about the time we were leaving, Whitney decides she needs to go to the bathroom. And guess what? We left her at the Western Sizzler, okay? I wish that I could tell you that we were like Mary and Joseph and realized we had left her there and hurried back to the Sizzler to rescue her. But we didn't. 
As a matter of fact, we're sitting in the session, and there's an announcement. Would David Fox please report to the back of the auditorium, okay? And so I go back, and there's a police officer, okay? And they've got Whitney in the back of the patrol car, back there, locked in there. And I remember he opened the door, and her first words were, you left me at the Sizzler, okay? That's what she told us, okay? It took a little while, but eventually we convinced him that we were not the worst parents in the world, but uh, uh, we were able to bring her on. And trust me, it changed the way we loaded the buses from that day forward, all right? We counted them. This morning, even though I'm not an expert about raising children, I'm going to refer to God's Word, and that that's where all our authority comes from. And I'm going to tell you a story found in Mark chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8, and it's the example of a praying parent, a praying parent, something that the church and I and all the members here would encourage us to do. As you know, Laura, honey, has been the director of Mother's Day Out for several years, and she has seen the power that prayer makes in families. We know that children who grow up in a home that prays are blessed. If you go over there in the Mother's Day Out hallway, there's a board that has Bible memory masters. And that thing is always full of children who are three and four years old and have memorized dozens and dozens of verses. I mean, I guarantee you they would put us to shame. But I know the reason, the only reason they can do that is because they have some good teachers that are teaching them, but they have parents that make that a priority. Being a parent is a lifetime job. Audrey Jane and I were listening to a song this last week, and I'm learning to play it on my guitar, where he says, the hardest job I ever did was the best job I ever had. It's a great song, but it's a job that comes with worry. It's a job that comes with fear. And I know those are, to- those are tools of the devil. But there's not a parent here that's not at one time or another been faced with worry or fear. Am I going to have enough money? What about their schoolwork? What about their friends? What about you name it? It's the parent's job. And we didn't get a training manual when we got them. I bought a lawnmower over at Hicks Brothers Tractor about a year ago, and he gave me a manual about that thick that's got everything I need to know about running that lawnmower. When we took our children home from the hospital, you know, you know what they said? Good luck. You're, you're going to need it. <laughs> I think that's what they said. Commercial number two. It's another good reason to be part of the church. We have a men's class that's been meeting on Wednesday night and a ladies' class that meets on Wednesday night. And in our men's class, we've been talking about parenting and for the last couple of weeks, discipline in, in particular. I want you to know, dads, discipline is not the way my discipline, that my dad disciplined me or I disciplined my children. Things have changed. It's a different world. But it's great to hear fathers who are just coming out of it or fathers who are in the middle of it talking to fathers who are getting ready to get into it about how to discipline their children. It's just a good, healthy discussion. And the family has changed. Whether you're a traditional parent, a single parent, a grandparent, raising your kids, or an adoptive parent, we've all got worries and we all think, well, we've got to do something. Well, this morning I want to recommend to you the story of Jarius. Spencer, you did a great job reading that, by the way. 
It starts out with fear in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 22. And then one of the synagogue leaders, his name was Jairus, and he came to Jesus and he fell at his feet and he pleaded with him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd pressed around him. Jairus was an important guy. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He had some standing in the community. And people at that time weren't so sure about Jesus in a lot of different areas. But right now, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what they say. It didn't matter what they thought. The only thing that was on his mind was, my little daughter is dying. And when Jesus saw him, he saw a parent that had nowhere else to go. And this is not the only example in the Bible. In Matthew 15, there's a story of a Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and she said, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. There's another guy in Mark, or Mark chapter 9, a dad whose son was uh, afflicted with seizures. And he came to Jesus and he said, If you can do anything, have pity on my son. And Jesus kind of laughed and said, If you can... Everything is possible to the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. I think that's something where all of us have been. And the good news is that in all three of these examples, Jesus met those families' needs and helped them overcome these problems. My guess is that there are some parents that are here today And if you're not here, you will be at some time, that you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn. Well, I'm going to tell you your first step is to pray. Now you look at me and you think, pray? That's all you got is pray? It's in my experience that prayer is not just powerful. Prayer is beyond that. Prayer, when we pray, the Bible tells us that our prayers are carried before the throne of God himself, before the Father in heaven. He hears our prayers. Don't know how to pray? That's okay. God knows that. He told us through the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will come and help us pray in ways that we don't even know. But I believe that God has a very special place for the, pair, for the prayers of a parent. Let's go back to Jarius. I don't know what Jesus had planned for that day. I don't know what his calendar said or what his agenda was. But I know when Jarius came and begged him to come help him, everything changed. That little girl was his primary mission. Mark tells us there was a big crowd around him. And I'm sure there were a lot of people that had a lot of requests. But when Jesus heard the prayer of the Father... He came with him. And he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same. When you pray, God listens. When you pray, you are performing one of the greatest things that you can do for your children. Our children are both married, have children of their own. I try every day to remember to pray for them and my grandchildren. And not just for them, but their families and what they're involved in. It's a blessing. 
it's a privilege to be able to pray for our children. Remember what Psalm said in Psalms 127.3? Children are a gift from God. And it's hard to imagine. As much as you love your children, as much as you love your grandchildren, God loves them more. Far beyond anything that you're even capable of. And there are a lot of reasons that God created the family. But one of those reasons was so that we can teach them to be faithful and help them to grow spiritually. And gentlemen, ladies who are parents, your days are numbered. Time passes oh so fast. One day they're, you're pushing them in a stroller. It seems like you blink your eyes and they're getting their driver's license. Teach your children why you can Jairus begged Jesus to come to his house. I love that part where he, he said, Jesus, you got to be here. you got to be in my house. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. He needed Jesus to be in his house. And so do I. And so do you. Fathers, this is your prayer. Jesus, come into my house. It's a prayer that every parent is privileged to pray. And I particularly like the fact that in this passage, it's a praying fathers. And very practical. Fathers, if you're not praying for your children every day, start today. No amen? I need to amen on that one. I'm going to say it again. You all get ready. Fathers, if you're not praying every day for your children, start today. All right, I like that much better. There's going to be a lot of things that happen that we can't fix. We can't do anything about. But we can bring them to Jesus. Lesson number one, parents pray for your children. I wish the Bible said much more about raising children, but it didn't. It didn't talk about how much allowance to give them. You know, the Bible doesn't mention anything about cell phones or boyfriends or girlfriends. No advice at all. I think maybe the reason it didn't talk a lot about parenting is so that we would focus on what's important. Through examples and scriptures, God hears the prayers of a parent. There's a passage in Lamentations chapter 2 where it says, Lift, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. When you send your children off to school in the morning, pray for them. Let them hear you pray for them. I know they may roll their eyes and go, you know, whatever, but I think it means a lot to a child to hear their mother or their father pray for them and tell them that they love them. When they go, when they go to bed at night, let the last thing they hear be your word saying, Lord, thank you for protecting my child today and that I love them. Cover them with prayers. I'm going to give you, Andy likes to challenge people, I'm going to give you a challenge. Start making a list of things you pray about, that you pray for, and then see how God answers them. I think you'll be very happy with the results. I want to read you five verses about prayer. They are in John 9 verse 31, it's the first one. It says, God listens to the godly person who does his will. 
First Peter three twelve. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayers. First John five fifteen. We know that He hears us, whatever we ask, and we know that we have what we ask of Him. Jeremiah twenty nine. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart. In Psalm 66, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. I had cherished sin in my heart, and the Lord would not have listened. But surely God has listened and heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. Lesson number one, parents pray for your children. Lesson number two, parents make your home a house of prayer. And even if you do this, there are things that are going to happen. It happened to Jairus. Remember what happened next? As Jesus was following him through the streets of that town, there was a woman who came up to him, and she had a problem with hemorrhaging, and she'd had it for many, many years, and spent every penny she had. Uh, It's a great story, but we will save that for another day. But Jesus was walking towards his house and looked around and Jesus was not following him anymore. He was talking to this woman. And I don't know what Jairus thought, but I know what I would have thought. We need to go. You ain't got time for this. My daughter is dying. And that's where some of us are or have been. I prayed about it and it only got worse. It seems that God maybe wasn't listening. Or maybe even he forgot about me. Let me give you with all the assurance I can, he hears you. He listens. Look what happened to Jairus. In verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now get this verse, verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be made well. Picture this. Jairus has heard the worst thing that he could possibly hear. And Jesus steps right in the middle. And he says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be made well. I guess Jairus could have said, well, Jesus, I trusted in you, but you didn't hear me. Thanks a lot. But that wasn't what he did. He trusted in Jesus because he had nowhere else to go. Just like some of us will be at one time or another. And I know he trusted in him because the very next thing we know about, Jesus is at his house. Now I'm going to switch over to Luke chapter 8. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And when they arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, Daughter, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus said, Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, and he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Look what happens when Jesus comes into somebody's house. 
He takes control. He went from following Jairus to leading Jairus. And he removed all the unbelief. He wouldn't let the voice of the doubters stay. He said, you all got to go. And he came in and brought in the good and he removed the bad. Couldn't you use that in your house? He will stand with you. You know, the Bible tells us that the fights we fight as Christians are not always against this world. There are things that are beyond what we can see. And one of the devil's tactics is he wants us to think it's all up to you. But I'm here to tell you today, it's not all up to you. You are not alone. God has promised that he will come and he'll bring comfort to those who love him. And he can do it like nobody else could do it. What was a logical thing for Jarius to say? Well, it's, it's too late. She's gone. But due to the prayer of a father, Jesus did a miracle. Did Jesus really answer his prayer? Well, yes. No. He went beyond what he asked for. My prayers a lot of times are feeble. And it's been my experience that God will answer far more than I know what to ask for. Lesson number one. Parents, pray for your children. Lesson number two. Parents, make your home a house of prayer. Lesson number three, there will never come a time when God will leave you alone. And who knows better than our Father in heaven? Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what then can we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There will be times you don't know what to do. There will be times you may not know where to turn. There may be times when you just want to throw up your hands. There may be a time when you leave your daughter at the Western Sizzler in Searcy, Arkansas. But trust me, there will never be a time when God leaves you alone. He will help us. He will help you. I want to close this morning because I know there are some parents in this audience who hear a story like Jarius, and you say, Jesus didn't save my child. You know the grief of losing a child like that. I'm afraid we at Jefferson Avenue have walked down that road too many times with too many parents. We've had parents who've lost their children in car accidents. We had one of our former youth minister lost his daughter in the tornado a couple of years ago who was a member of our Mother's Day Out program, little Hattie Joe. There are some parents who never got to meet their child, lost them before they were even born. And there are some adult children that have gone on before, before we have. I wish I could answer your questions this morning, but I don't have the answer. I don't know. But I do know there are people in this audience who have been there and they'll come alongside you and they'll give you comfort and they'll do what they can to help you. And I know from the story of Jairus that God is a God who will give us hope, give us a promise of a reunion. I know our Father will give us comfort and your brothers and sisters will give us hope. 
As I close this morning, I want to talk to the fathers just for a minute. We're given a special job. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, I urge you to take this serious, to be the spiritual leader in your house. There are several people in this auditorium this morning, parents or couples, that I've been praying especially about this morning, that they would come and I hope I could say something that would affect them. If you're a husband or you're a father and you've not invited Jesus into your home, today's your day. If you have not invited Jesus into your life, do not walk out those doors without Jesus. And I speak this way because of personal experience. I remember when my father was baptized. I was like 12 or 13 years old. My mother drugged me and my little brother to church every Sunday. And we didn't want to go. And we had the perfect excuse. You know what it was? Well, Daddy ain't going. Why do I have to go? And we had a minister who came and he taught my father. And he was baptized, became a Christian. It changed our home. It changed my life. And my dad, when he became a Christian, he wasn't just one of these guys that came on Sunday. I mean, he, my dad quit school in the eighth grade to go to, swore, go to work. And he taught our Sunday school class. Became a leader in our congregation. He changed my life. John Rhodes has told me this story many times. He has a very similar experience. He remembers when his father became a Christian. His father, his brother, and him were all baptized on the same day. And I'm sure he would tell you the reason was mostly because dad decided to make the change. They changed our family. They changed our, not only our family at home, they changed our life, they changed our children's life, they changed our children's children's life because our fathers decided to put Christ as a priority in their life. I pray today, if you are not the father that is leading your children in the ways of Jesus, that today you change what you're doing. And accept Jesus as your Savior. Steve's getting ready to lead us an invitation song. And it is an invitation. It's an invitation to come to Jesus. Because he died for us. And as you, as Steve leads us, come on up here Steve. And as he leads us as an invitation, I'm going to be standing right there. And I want to meet you. Not just me. But Jesus will meet you as well. Would you stand as we sing? If you are to